I'm reading from the Common English Bible this morning. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the country of the Gadareans, two men who were demon-possessed came from among the tombs to meet him. They were so violent that nobody could travel on that road. They cried out, What are you going to do with us, son of God? Have you come to torture us before the time of judgment? Far off in the distance, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons pleaded with him, If you throw us out, send us into the herd of pigs. Then he said to the demons, Go away. And they came out and they went into the pigs. The whole herd rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. Those who tended the pigs ran into the city and told everything that had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole city came out and met Jesus. When they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. The word of God for the people of God. It's good to be back from camp. I really do mean that. It is, it is good to be back. Particularly, it's, it's nice to be sleeping in a real bed again. Uh, the, the Peters have done a lot of camping in, in the last month. Let me give you just a little bit of a rundown of where we've been, because you haven't seen us in a while. First, we went off and, and spent a quiet week of, of just family vacation, tent camping by a lake up near Mount Pleasant. We spent that whole week with nothing to do but eat cheddar worst and mess around in boats. It was, it was wonderful and relaxing, and we probably should have done that last, not first. Then then we went off to uh, the Camp Lake Louise up in northern Michigan. Uh, Pastor Christy and I spent the week leading uh, uh, what we call elementary bear camp. We were there for the week with 100 100 elementary aged campers singing songs and talking about the light that that shines in the darkness. And then we spent a week at uh, a clergy camp. We spent a week with 20 other pastors and and their families. Uh, And and so what I'm trying to say is it's it's been a long time, nearly a month, since I've had a truly good night's sleep. It was, it was really hard to get a good night's sleep up at camp this year, unusually hard. We had a lot of uh, unusually hot nights uh, this, this August as we were up at camp, and what that meant was a lot of long and, and miserable nights tossing and turning on a plastic mattress trying to, trying to get comfortable. Uh, of, all of, the, of all of the long and miserable nights that I've had in the last month, there was one night, though, that, that stands out as the longest and, and the miserablest. One night after a long and exhausting day, I went back into my cabin and I collapsed down on, on my bunk. And, and as I lay down, I thought, surely I am so tired tonight that I'm just going to fall right asleep and I won't wake up until my alarm goes off in the morning. Tonight, I shouldn't have any trouble getting to sleep. And, and I was right. I, I lay down and the minute my head touched the pillow, pillow I, I could feel myself starting to, starting to drift off to sleep. I very, I very nearly made it. I was just in that point where, where you're not really asleep, but you're not really awake. I was just at that point where I was about to fall asleep when I felt a, a sort of breeze on my forehead. And I said, oh, that's nice. That's just what I needed on a, on a hot August night. I needed a little, bit, a little bit of a breeze to cool me off. And then suddenly the breeze stopped and, and a giant mosquito landed right in the middle of my, of my forehead. And I realized that the breeze was not a breeze at all. It was the wash. It was the, the wind generated by the wings of this giant mosquito as it was coming in for, for a landing. Well, of course, that 
that woke me up really quick. I got that shot of adrenaline that you get when a mosquito lands on your forehead in a, in a dark room. And I swatted at the mosquito and nearly gave myself a concussion. But I, I missed, I missed the mosquito. And so now, of course, I'm wide awake and I'm lying there in bed waiting for the mosquito to, to come back, listening for the buzz of those giant mosquito wings. And I waited and, and I waited, but the mosquito never, never did come back. I didn't hear the buzz of the wings. And so eventually I said, okay, I'm going to try to get to sleep again. And so I, I tried to relax. And of course, it was harder this time, what with the adrenaline and all. But eventually, I started to, started to drift off to sleep again. And, and I nearly made it. I drifted away. And I was just at that point where you're not quite awake and, and you're not quite asleep when all of a sudden, this giant mosquito landed on my ear. And of course, I woke up again and had the rush of adrenaline again. And I swatted at the ear again, nearly burst an eardrum. And of course, I missed the mosquito. This time, I jumped out of bed, turned on the lights, and went on the offensive. I started hunting for this mosquito. I started looking all around the room to see if I could track this thing down and deal with it in a permanent sort of way. But no matter where I looked, I couldn't find that mosquito. That mosquito was, was nowhere to be seen. And so finally I said, well, maybe it just flew out a hole in the wall and went off to somebody else's cabin. So I turned off the lights and I lay down in my bunk and I tried to, tried to relax again. And of course it was even harder this time because now I had the adrenaline and I'd had the lights on for 15 minutes. And so it wasn't easy to relax, but, but eventually I started to relax and I started to drift off to sleep and I nearly made it. I was just at that point between awake and asleep when all of a sudden this giant mosquito landed right between my eyebrows and it went on like this all night long. I didn't get a wink of sleep that night all night long. Just as I was starting to drift to sleep, this giant mosquito would land somewhere on my face and wake me up again. But every time I turned the lights on, it would magically disappear and, and it was right about 3 o'clock in the morning. It was probably around quarter after three in the morning that I decided, you know what, I think I do believe in demons. I really do. I, I, now, there is a quotation. Maybe you've heard it. It's a, a well-known quotation. Sometimes it's, it's attributed to the Dalai Lama. Sometimes it's cited as an, an African proverb. Maybe you've heard it. The quotation goes like this. If you think you're too little to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. Right now, that's pithy. That's memorable. That's, that's inspirational. I like that quotation. I, I do. That's worth tucking in your back pocket. You may need it someday. But I have decided, I have come to the conclusion that it would be more accurate and more honest to say, if you don't believe that demons are real, try sleeping in a room with a mosquito. By 3 o'clock in the morning, even the most hardened skeptic will become a true believer in the existence, in the existence of demons. We've got demons in this morning's gospel reading. What do you all make? What do you all make of demons? I've never really known what to do what to do with all of these demons who we meet in the stories of Jesus and, and his disciples. Most days I'm just not sure what to do with these stories, what to do with these demons. It's clear that in the time of Jesus, people absolutely did believe that demons were real. In the time of Jesus, people believed that there were invisible spiritual monsters that would pounce on you without warning, that would infect your heart and possess you and try to pull you away from God. There were invisible spiritual beings that would try to, try to attack you and and push you away from God's kingdom. And, and we have all of these stories in the Gospels of Jesus encountering demons, Jesus casting demons out of people. It's clear that, that in the time of Jesus, when the Gospels were written, people, people absolutely believed in demons. But nowadays, nowadays, my experience is it's, it's a little bit harder for people to believe that demons are real. In our modern and scientific world, we have a, a harder time believing in the existence of invisible spiritual creatures that will 
will attack us without, without the slightest amount of warning. Now we read these stories in the Gospels about Jesus casting demons out of people, and we say, well, what looked like demon possession to people in those days, nowadays we look at it and we say, that looks, that looks a lot like epilepsy, or that looks a lot like what we would call mental illness these days. We have other ways of describing and explaining the things that they attributed to, to demons back then. And so, so I encounter a lot of Christians who, who don't particularly believe in demons as a real spiritual, literal sort of a being. I run into a lot of Christians now who, who read the Gospels and they say, well, I think of demons as a symbolic way of, of talking about the darkness that lives in our hearts and the, the brokenness in the world all around us. And most days, most days that's okay for me. Most days I'm right there with you. Most days I believe that it's perfectly fine to think of demons as a, a symbolic way of talking about the darkness and the brokenness in this world. But then there are days. There are days when it just seems like the whole universe is out to get you. There are days when, when it feels like the whole world is crashing down on you. There are days when there is a mosquito in your bedroom and you just can't find it. There are days when all of a sudden I feel like I'm under attack and it absolutely seems easy to me to believe that there are invisible spiritual creatures out there and they are out, they are out to get us. There are days I have found, there are days when it is easy for me to believe, to believe in demons. In this morning's gospel reading, Jesus is having one of those days. Now today we pick up the story of Jesus at a moment just, just as his fame is beginning to spread for miles and miles around. Up until this point, Jesus has been traveling from village to village. He's been preaching to people. He's been teaching people about God's love and about God's kingdom. He's been healing people and, and casting out demons. And as Jesus has been traveling around, people have, have started to spread the word. His name has spread beyond the village that he's traveled to. And people start coming from miles, from miles around to see this wandering rabbi who talks about God in a way that nobody else talks about God. This wandering rabbi with this radical and strange message that God's kingdom is for all people, that God's love is poured out upon all people. People start to gather in droves to see Jesus, where once Jesus was preaching to, to dozens of people. Now Jesus is preaching to tens of thousands of people. And of course, the 12 disciples, Jesus' closest friends, his companions who have been with him from the very beginning, they are ecstatic. They can't believe how lucky they are. They keep pinching themselves when these giant crowds come to see Jesus. They keep slapping each other on the back and saying, Peter, can you believe it? We, we put our money on a winning horse. The disciples, they love being at the center of all of this attention and all of this commotion. But Jesus seems to be distracted. His mind is somewhere else. Jesus is growing restless. And one morning, early in the morning, Jesus wakes up and he walks down to the beach and he looks out over the Sea of Galilee. He looks across the Sea of Galilee over to the, the other side and Jesus feels a tugging on his heart. He feels a nudge of God's Holy Spirit. Now, up until this point, the, the ministry of Jesus has all happened on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. The western shore of the Sea of Galilee, that's where Jesus grew up. It's where his disciples are from. This is Jesus' home territory. He knows these people. He knows these villages. But just across the Sea of Galilee, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, there is, there is another place with a different kind of people. Across the Sea of Galilee, there is the, the land of the Gadarenes. 
The Gadarenes are, are Gentiles. They're not Jewish. They worship other gods, and they live in a strange and foreign way. And as Jesus looks out across the Sea of Galilee, across to the land of the Gadarenes, Jesus can hear God whispering in his heart, Jesus, I never meant for your ministry to stay in one place. I never meant for you only to give my love to one group of people. The time has come for you to move on. The time has come for you to go. And so Jesus gathers his disciples around him later that morning and he announces that he's made a decision. They're going to get in the boat and they're going to go across the water. They're going to bring the good news of God's love to the land of the Gadarenes. And as soon as Jesus tells them what his plan is, the disciples are flabbergasted. And they start to push back against Jesus. They say, Jesus, why do you want to go over there when we've already got it so good over here? Jesus, there's nothing over there but pagans and pigs. That is an unclean land filled with unclean people, the kind of people who put ham and and pineapple on top of their pizza. Jesus, you don't want to go over there. Stay over here, Jesus. Things are going so well, so well over here. And the crowds, they also pull at Jesus and try to keep him from leaving when the crowds hear that Jesus is about to go, they say, Jesus, we traveled for miles to come and see you. We traveled for miles to get healing from you, miles to hear your teaching. Stay with us, Jesus. Teach us, lead us, heal us, be our Savior. And Jesus, for just a moment, for just a heartbeat, he is tempted to stay. Jesus, in that moment, is tempted to stay in this place that is familiar to him with his people who he knows. He's tempted to build a megachurch there on the western banks of, of, of the Sea of Galilee and become the, the Joel Osteen of western, western Galilee. Jesus is tempted for just a moment to stay, but, but finally Jesus decides, no, I know what God has called me to do. I know where God has called me to go. And so Jesus holds up a hand and he silences the disciples. He silences the crowd and with a single word he says, let's go. And so they get in the boat, and they push off from the shore, and they start sailing, sailing eastward, sailing to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as they are sailing across the water, everybody grumpy, nobody talking to each other, suddenly a breeze starts to blow against the ship. And then that breeze becomes a gale, and the gale becomes a tempest, and this hurricane-force wind is beating against the ship, trying to push it back to the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then giant waves of water rise up and crash down on this this ship. Walls of water try to push them back to the place where they had come from. The the disciples are terrified. Many of the disciples are fishermen. They have spent years sailing on this this very lake, but even they have never seen anything like this. And so as the wind and the waves are beating on the little boat, the the disciples cry out, Jesus, save us. Maybe some of them cry Jesus, we told you so. We told you this was, this was a bad idea. But Jesus, Jesus is not afraid. Jesus is not alarmed. He simply stands up and walks to the front of the boat and he holds up a hand. And with a single word, he says to the wind and the waves, he says, be still. And the wind and the waves are still. And so they continue along their way. They keep on sailing until they they reach the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Their little ship pushes up on the beach, and Jesus is the first one out of the boat. He just can't wait to get out of the boat and go to the place where God has told him to go. Jesus jumps out of the boat, but the disciples now, they are on high alert. They have this idea that there is some kind of a spiritual force out there that does not want them to go where Jesus is taking them. And so they are watching now for signs of trouble. They are watching for signs of danger, and sure enough, 
even as Jesus' feet reach the beach, they see two men running towards them at a sprint. And, and there is something about these two men that alarms the disciples. Maybe it's their, their ragged and filthy clothes. Maybe it's the blood on their hands. Maybe it's the look in their eyes. These disciples look at these two men running towards Jesus, and they, they can feel that these two men are dangerous, and maybe they mean Jesus' harm. And, and the disciples, they are right to be afraid. They are right to be worried about these two men. What they don't know is that these two men have a reputation in the land of the Gadarenes. These two men have been possessed by demons, demons that have made them violent. These two men live in this stretch of road by a cemetery along the beach, and they attack anyone who comes this way to the point where people now go miles out of their way to avoid this stretch of road. They just don't go to this part of the beach anymore. And the disciples see these two men with murder in their eyes running towards Jesus, and they put their hands on his shoulders and prepare to drag him back into the boat. But Jesus is not afraid. He holds up a hand. He stops them from dragging him back in the boat. And so they all wait and watch as these two men run up towards them. They wait to see what these two men are going to do. And just at the critical moment, just when they are certain that these two men are about to pounce on Jesus and finish what the wind and the waves tried to do, they're going to tear Jesus limb from limb. Just at the critical moment, these two men stop. And then the demons begin to speak to Jesus. They say, Son of God, what are you doing here? Have you come here to cast us out? Have you come here to torment us? And the disciples can't believe what they're hearing. Suddenly they, they understand that not only is Jesus not afraid of the demons, the demons are afraid of Jesus. The demons plead with Jesus, don't just cast us out into the abyss. Don't just cast us out into the outer darkness. Don't torment us. Let us go into a new host, that herd of pigs over there. Let us go into that herd of pigs. Surely the Jewish Messiah can't, can't be troubled with what happens to a herd of, of Gentile pigs. And so Jesus, with a, a twinkle in his his eye in a single word holds up a hand and he says to the demons, go. And the demons leap out of these two men and they move over into this herd of pigs. But then something that the demons didn't expect suddenly happens. These, these pigs have been just happily munching away at their piggy food, thinking their piggy thoughts, having a, a good piggy sort of a day. When all of a sudden they were startled by the appearance among them and within them of these, these demons. They were surprised. They hadn't been expecting this. The pigs are so startled that they start to run. They run straight towards a cliff and over the cliff and down into the sea and they all drown there in the waters of the Sea of Galilee, the demons end up without a home anyhow. And this is how the story ends. It ends with a bunch of dead pigs floating in the Sea of Galilee. And we have to acknowledge that this is a really weird story. Most days I don't know what to do with this story, this story of, of the storm at sea and the men with demons and the pigs washing up on the beach of the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a, it's a strange and unusual story, especially to our modern scientific ears. We're not really sure what to do with this story except for those days, except for those days when it's easy to believe that demons are real. On those days when it seems like the whole universe is out to get us. 
on those days when it seems like the wind and the waves keep on pushing us away from where we want to be, on those days when it's easy to believe that demons are real, the message of this story is clear and it is powerful and it gives us comfort. On those days, on those days when the darkness is against us, on those days when we, when we look around and we see entire generations walking away from the church and walking away from the Christian faith, on those days when we look around and we see that the church is so divided that it may not be able to stand on those days when we lay beloved saints of the church in the ground, on those days when the violence of this world comes to us not through our television screens but through our telephones, on those days when it is easy to believe in demons, this story this story gives us the words that we need to hear. There is no wind in this world, no wave in this world that can stand against the power of Jesus. All of the darkness of this world, all of the violence and division of this world, all of the demons of this world, whatever they are, simply fade away at a word from the mouth of the one who loves us, the one who crosses the sea for us, the one who sails against the wind for us. The message of this story is not that you and I should believe in demons. The message of this story very simply is that you and I should believe in Jesus. Let's pray. God, help us to believe in Jesus. On those days when we feel the darkness closing in, on those days when it feels like everything is against us, on those days when it is easy to believe that demons are real, God, we pray that you would help us to believe that Jesus is real, that his light shines in the darkness, that the darkness has not overcome it and it never will. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.